Hey everybody, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, as was already said, appreciate anyone who braved, braved the weather uh, this morning to be here uh, with us. Uh, if we haven't met, let me try not to knock this down. Uh, my name is Josh. I am uh, one of the pastors here, uh, along with uh, my wife, Allie, who is up here. Actually, I want to give a special shout out uh, to the worship team this morning. Can everybody just, Emily was leading on vocals for the first time. Allie was up there for the first time. This team onboarded a ton of new equipment, and you would not have known that they were all stressed out about that. Um, uh, Caleb has stepped in in an interim uh, director role uh, since uh, Guy, who we all miss dearly, transitioned away and hasn't missed a beat, uh, either, either up here or, or metaphorically, and um, just grateful for, for them and, and their, their ministry in leading us uh, this morning. Well, uh, again, uh, welcome. Uh, as Elton just said, we are in this series on uh, these one another passages of Scripture approximately a hundred times. Uh, throughout the New Testament, uh, there's this Greek word that shows up. The word is alelone, which you don't need to remember for any reason. But uh, it means one another or sometimes translated each other or mutually. And uh, when we, when we kind of zoom back and take a look at this composite, it really gives us a beautiful image of what it looks like for us to live as community. And so throughout this sermon series, uh, that's what we are uh, looking at. And uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, I really want to say, uh, you know, we're a community that endeavors to be able to be there for one another through the highs, uh, to celebrate those high five moments, but also to be with each other through the lows. And I think that's something we uh, are, are doing well at and also still have opportunity to grow in. But, but that's, that's our heart. That's our desire. If I haven't met you yet, uh, I'd love to connect with you, to get to know you. Uh, come just grab me after the gathering. Uh, would love to chat. And if I can help to get you plugged into a summer table or anything else, uh, I'd love to do so. So uh, this morning, our teaching is, is really uh, part two of a two-part conversation uh, that we began last week about what it means to belong to one another. Uh, Romans 12 verses 4 and 5 were our texts for last week. And some of you were here or caught that on the podcast. Uh, if, if so, gold star. If not, no problem. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you right up and bring you along. But last week, we really uh, laid out some of the, some of the theology of, of what it means for us to be family. Uh, we wrestled with uh, this, this gripping metaphor, really, that we as the church are parts of a body. Um, and, and what does that mean for us? We, we suggested that it means that we're invited to live not just independently, but interdependently and ask the question, Whose needs are you willing to be inconvenienced for? Well, this morning, I want to kind of continue with part two of what is almost like a mini-series within this one another's uh, series. Uh, and, and as we're in Galatians 6, we're going to look at this question of what does mutuality look like? Elton already read it, our text, but we'll read it again one more time. It says uh, in Galatians 6-2, carry each other or one another's, there's that word, a laid alone, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, this is a simple text, but man, its implications are profound, and I want to unpack with you this morning uh, what that can look like for us practically. And to do so, I want to get us started uh, with a story. So some of you know Linda Olafurnis. Uh, she's a member of our church family. Her, her family is here today. Uh, Ron and Radford, I'm embarrassing over there. Leilani is somewhere here um, hiding about, probably. Um, but, but Linda is someone who I, I so admire because uh, 
she lives the value of mutuality, really of serving one another uh, just about as well as anyone I know. One of the really defining stories, one of the moments that I think began to cement this value for her individually occurred before she was part of our church community. At the time, uh, Linda and her family were attending Christ the King, uh, a church in Dorchester, and hosting a community group. And, and one week, a leader in the church reached out and said, hey, there's a new person who's recently started attending. His name's Henry. Uh, he needs some community. And Linda, uh, being who she is, you know, she worked up the courage and got the phone number and cold called Henry and said, Henry, do you want to you want to come to our group? It's at my house. We have dinner. We do a Bible study. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. And sure enough, uh, Henry showed up. And before long, he was a regular. Now, Henry wasn't just uh, a little bit older than other members of the group. He had a very different lived experience. Um, growing up in LA, Henry Guerrera had self-described as a wild child. Uh, his drinking had become a problem early in life and resulted in a series of events that led to him being unhoused and living on Skid Row. It was there on Skid Row where Henry met volunteers from a local church that introduced him uh, to Jesus and also to Union Rescue Mission. Henry began treatment for his alcohol addiction and got sober. Eventually, he started working to give back in that same rescue mission where, where he had received uh, treatment. And in 1995, Henry moved to Boston in order to serve with the Boston Rescue Mission. He wanted to take that and bring it across the country to the East Coast. And he served there as a guest coordinator for years, helping other individuals trapped in, in, in addiction and alcoholism and, and opioid use to find freedom. Um, but now Henry's hard life, after many years, was beginning to really catch up with him. Over meals and conversations as part of their group, uh, it gradually came out that Henry was battling with advanced kidney disease. A group members probed and asked questions, and, and eventually they discovered that Henry desperately needed a transplant, but the doctors were unwilling uh, to put him on the list in order to get one because he didn't have the kind of community around him that would allow him to navigate the difficult recovery process in the wake of a surgery like that. Without the support he needed, there was no way for him ever to get the transplant that would literally be life-saving. Well, the community around him was burdened by this news, and as you could imagine, was also, you know, a little hesitant. It wasn't small stuff that Henry was dealing with. In addition to his, his medical issues, he had limited financial resources, he was increasingly sick and struggling to deal with, with even basic needs. Henry's needs were a lot, but the group members also took to heart this, this idea that somehow we're, we're family. So they began to wrestle with it, to pray about it. And Linda, in particular, felt some trepidation. I mean, she was a mom to two kids. She had a lot going on in her life, but also uh, she felt drawn to this man in some way. And so she went to, to prayer and, and asked Jesus and said, God, what do I do about this situation? How would you have me to respond? And she began to get the sense from the Holy Spirit that, that this was one of those moments where it was really not just about talking the talk, but walking the walk. What would it look like for her to put her actions, her faith into action, and be an exemplar to her kids of the kind of faith that she believed that all of us were called to? And so uh, she took a leap. Linda began taking Henry to appointments and eventually signed up as his health care proxy. 
It wasn't just Linda. Other community members chipped in as well and, and drove Henry to appointments. They helped him do grocery shopping and, and got him connected to the local Meals on Wheels program. When Linda noticed that the laundry was piling up at his apartment, she jumped in and offered to help out there as well. The bills were a disaster, and so uh, she became more involved in managing his finances and, and helping him to, to make sure that he was staying on top of things. And Henry, uh, crucially, I think this is so important, Henry was not just a, some service project. Henry became part of the family. Uh, he became affectionately known in the community as Uncle Henry. And everybody was involved. You know, the kids would help out with bringing groceries over, and Uncle Henry would have uh, various treats and candies for them to help them along. Uh, at Christmas time, they'd all come together and, and help to decorate Henry's tree. Then in 2018, Henry passed away, surrounded by his adopted family, after his health declined. As I reflected on this story with Linda this week, she described how in those final days before Henry's death, that there was a lot of sadness and grief, yes. But there was also just this immense sense of joy and gratitude. All sort of people came around and visited who had become part of this man who was, who was literally alone and yet through this expression of the body had found a family, a community. Today, if you visit the Olafurnaces' home above the fireplace mantle in the living room, there's an urn with Henry's ashes. And as Linda and I were talking about this story, she marveled, really. We were both weeping at, at how incredible of a journey that they had traversed with this man that, that had been a stranger to them, but because of Jesus became family. Linda recalled that she never set out to do something amazing and storytelling and have somebody up on a stage talk about it someday. She was just trying to do the next right thing. And then, and then after that, there was another need that popped up. And along the way, she ended up carrying more weight than she ever imagined or even thought possible. But she also found that there was grace for it. She found joy in it. And this, friends, is what it means to bear one another's burdens. Or at least one way. This is mutuality. And so over the next few minutes together, I want to unpack uh, both this text in Galatians chapter 6. And also I want to look at this story, this very tangible example to, to see some, some, some principles, some, some tools, some tips that we can each use as we begin to discover what it means for us. Because the journey is going to be different for every one of us. Not all of us will meet a Henry. But I believe that for every one of us, there is a journey towards mutuality. Now, you may have noticed I've already used this word mutuality uh, several times this morning. And, and we're talking about mutuality this morning. As I already alluded to, uh, this word in the Greek, alelon, can actually be translated mutual, one another. It has uh, this idea of reciprocity to it. And for mutually, mutuality uh, to exist, according to the dictionary, there has to be both an act of sharing or exchanging something between two or more parties, and crucially, there has to be some kind of reciprocity. There has to be a two-way street that's occurring. I believe this, this word mutuality or, or reciprocity, kinship, if you will, this language helps us to understand and imagine what it means to bear one another's burdens. So there's five things that I want to 
share with you about what it looks like to live in mutuality with one another. And the first thing I want you to notice is that mutuality is all about love. It's all about love. Love, if you will, is mutuality, uh, or, or mutuality rather, is love with boots on. You know, when love laces up its work boots and, and gets involved, gets down on street level, it, it looks like mutuality. And here in Galatians chapter 6 in verse 2, we see that uh, Paul says that, that when we bear one another's burdens, as we practice mutuality, that we'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I wondered, and maybe you did too, what is this law that Paul is referring to? And very simply, uh, uh, Paul is referring back to Jesus' teaching that all the, all the law and the prophets could be summed up in these two seminal commandments to love God and love others. This is the same teaching that, that Jesus left with his disciples uh, when, when he said that, that, that as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. This is mutuality. It's, it comes from a, a place of love. It comes from the example of Jesus who, who came down and in love extended love to, to us who were strangers to bring us into his family so that we might be healed. And when we practice mutuality with others, it's all rooted in what we have already seen and experienced in Jesus. So mutuality is, is all about love. But the second thing I want you to notice is not only that mutuality all about love, but, but it also requires relationship. And friends, I think this is really important. In fact, this might be one of the most important things for, for many of us that, that I'll say today. Mutuality re requires a relationship. It requires a proximity because uh, for, for many of us, you know, I, I think we run into an obstacle when it comes to, to serving others, to, to loving others, that we, we don't actually have the relationship that's necessary. Uh, for the last several years as a, a pastor in Boston, I've primarily worked with folks like me, middle class, white folk, who haven't been in the city a terribly long time, and, and, and who follow Jesus and, and really genuinely, deeply want to be agents of good news. They want to extend love to their neighbors. They want to be part of, of justice and goodness in the city and, and see good things happen. But oftentimes what I find is that the, the biggest obstacle to that happening effectively is that, that we just don't have relationships. We're moving too fast in our careers. Our, our conversations are too shallow. We've, we've, we've situated ourselves in spheres that are homogenous. And so when we go and begin to say like, hey, what does it look like to practice this love? We're not quite sure where to start. And, and friends, for us to begin to enter into this kind of mutuality, we have to be willing to invest in relationships. I have to be willing to slow down, to be present, to be intentional if our relationships aren't already this way, to begin to cultivate relationships across differences of, of race and class. This takes an investment, but this is what is necessary. It's part of the foundation for real, genuine mutuality. The good news is there's a bajillion ways that this can look. Right? For every one of us, this is going to be a different journey. 
uh, the who and the where and the how of that will, will vary. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. We're going to talk more about that later. But, but if we're going to practice mutuality with others, we have got to slow down and develop relationships. I love how uh, this happened in the story of Linda and Henry. Uh, they were willing to, to form and develop these relationships. And this actually leads us right into my third thing that I'd like you to notice around mutuality, which is mutuality requires courage. Mutuality requires courage because, man, in the context of Galatians 6 and verse 2 here, when Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens, what he's referring back to is, is the occurrence of sin we see in verse 1. He's naming the, the fallout and the consequences of somebody who had become captured and engrossed in sin and now is dealing with the fallout in their life. But I'll be honest. When I am captured in sin, when I am struggling in some way, overwhelmed, burnout, having a mental health issue, I don't want to tell you all about it. Like, I would pretend for you to all think that I am, you know, good-looking and intelligent and really talented and, you know, not to notice the sweat that is soaking through my shirt right now, right? None of us wants to look bad in front of other people. And, and fair enough. Because when we do, we risk their judgment. We risk disdain or, or, or being ostracized or pushed away or being mocked. And yet, if we're going to enter into mutuality with others, we have to be willing to courageously show up and allow our burdens to be seen. And also to allow ourselves to be willing to, to not judge and to pick up somebody else's burden. Again, the story is such a beautiful exemplar of it. Man, I think, you know, oftentimes I think, Maybe I'm just speaking of myself as, as, you know, a white guy who's college educated and all that. It's, it's so easy for me to first think of like, oh, it takes a lot of courage for me to do something. But, man, let me tell you, for Henry, non-white dude, he's got some history to like show up in a community group that's white and middle class bunch of families, right, who don't look like him and, and just have a different lived experience, right, that's incredibly courageous. That's incredibly bold for him to, to, to risk their judgment. Oh, you're here because you deserve, like, I mean, what did, we, what did you think was going to happen when you made those choices, right? To risk their disdain or their misunderstanding, Henry had to be willing to step out and say, hey, guys, this is me. This is my life. I'm going to let you in and let you see what's really going on. And they had to be able to look past some of those things, some of those stereotypes and, and things that might have gotten in the way and instead... Uh, extend an arm to him and say, hey, man, you're family. We all got stuff. Mutuality requires not only relationship, but, but it also requires courage. I don't know what was going on in Linda's mind, but it's so easy for us to get taken out of, of mutuality of love with boots on. We want to live in love in the abstract, but we don't want to put the boots on and lace up because there's so many risks involved, right? Do I really want an addict in my home? Do I want them around my kids? I mean, I'm going through such a, this is a busy time. It's an important stage in their development. Maybe once I get the finances to this point, then I'd have a little bit more that I could share. I don't know if these stories were at play for Linda, but I know sometimes they're at play for me. And maybe for you. Like these are real, they're real concerns, they're real issues, and yet 
If we're ever going to enter into this kind of relationship, this kind of mutuality, this kind of bearing one another's burdens that, that Jesus and Paul invite us into at some point, we've got to step up and make some decisions that are courageous, that pull us beyond our comfort zone. And this leads us into another point around mutuality, which is mutuality requires discernment. All right? Everything's like a both and here. It's very interesting. There is a paradox. In fact, some scholars have been like, oh, Paul, you know, this is an error in the Bible. It's not an error in the Bible. Um, But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, the text tells us, carry each other's burdens. And then almost in the same breath, like, I think you noticed, guys. In verse 5, Paul says, basically, everyone should carry his own load. Carry each other's burdens and also take care of your own stuff. Right? It's a paradox. Because both are true. Both happen at the same time. Right? There are times when serving others isn't actually helping them. Right? We're actually enabling bad behavior in some way. That can be a real thing. It's not just always an excuse to not help out. Sometimes there's a real need here, but like God hasn't actually called us to that. God's called us over here in this season. Right? And so there are times when, when what is not involved is, what, what, what we're not called to is, is getting deeply enmeshed in a situation that's like not ours and where we may not be helpful or we may not be the right person. And this is like the absolute opposite. It's so complicated because it's so easy to not be courageous by saying, I'm discerning the situation. But on the flip side, discernment is warranted. It's important, right? We gotta be wise. You can't solve everything. You can't, not even solve, like you can't even just be present to everything. You don't have the emotional soul space for it. And so we have to discern which burdens are those that we are being invited to share the load. And again, here the story is so instructive for us. Like Linda, before she jumps in, she says, hey Jesus, what do you want me to do about this situation? Is this one for me? Is this one for me? Because friends... I fear that, that some of us actually are feeling completely overwhelmed. That we hear a sermon like this and we're like, yo, I cannot take on one more thing. I am so, Josh, you don't even understand. I am maxed out. And there's a lot of reasons that that could be true. I, I don't doubt if that's how you feel that that's what's true for you. But I think sometimes, at least for me, One of the reasons I'm maxed out is that I am like overwhelmed with all kind of problems that aren't mine to carry, right? Because if if you just like, if you just like I do sometimes, open the app on your phone and read the news, we've got Ukraine and we've got COVID and we've got the elections and we've got, you know, the the environment appears to be melting down and the, you know, there are so many things that are catastrophic and chaotic and overwhelming in the world. There's racism over here and there's sexism over here and there's, you know, it's, it's just overwhelming. But friends, you know, we've got to listen to Jesus, right? Because maybe God is calling you to invest and give your life to one of those issues. Like that might be true for some of you and if so, God bless you, like go for it with both feet, dive in. But like, if God isn't in this season calling you to that, like some of us just need to delete the app from our phone. We're not actually doing anything. 
We're just living in a, in a perpetual state of angst and anguish and overwhelm that keeps us from actually being involved in the issue that's, that's right there in front of us, from missing the Henry that God has given us. I'm not saying bury your head in the sand. I'm saying listen to Jesus and be wise about where he is calling you to invest that emotional bandwidth, that relational bandwidth that you have. We have to practice discernment if we're going to live into this posture of mutuality. Last thing I want to share, and and again, one of the most important um, in this text before uh, before I wrap up is mutuality differs for different people. It depends on your gifts. We also read not just Galatians 6, but went back to the passage, the second half of the passage that we were in last week in Romans 12. And and it's a gifts list that that begins with uh, these words from, from the Apostle Paul that says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And friends, this is, no, actually, I missed up. That's 1 Peter 4 which says the same exact thing. Romans 12, 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given, and then goes on to talk about the different gifts. Actually, that wasn't what I was intending to read, but same point. Like throughout the New Testament, whenever we have this this issue where we are called to use our gifts, it then goes in to talk about the diversity of the ways that that might look. And in each passage where, where, where Paul or someone else is writing, it doesn't list the same list of gifts, which means that these aren't even exhaustive. This is just like a starter pack of brainstorming. A while back, um, a friend of mine visited a church that shall not be named, and uh, they, the, the pastor got up and preached on uh, actually the same text around uh, spiritual gifts and got to kind of the concluding moment of the message and began to go through, said, you know, you all have these amazing gifts, and therefore... We have an opportunity in kids' ministry. We have an opportunity in the parking lot. We need somebody to sing up here. And we have an opportunity in kids' ministry, right? And friends, we do have an opportunity in kids' ministry, okay? But this grieves me so much. I'm not trying to knock any other church, but what, I am, what I'm saying is that some of us suffer from a stunted imagination about the ways in which God has called us to serve. There are so many possibilities. There are as many possibilities as there are people, right? Because every one of us have been given different gifts. And friends, it is not like your, your leaders, your pastors are here to support you, to help you, but it is not our job to determine and to to come to you with an offer. It is your job. Like God has placed a stewardship within you that is to be used for his kingdom, that is unique, that is just for you, and that is essential. And so friends, we're here to support you. It's our job to support you, but also it's your job to, to discover. To discover by paying attention and discovering who am I made to be as a person? What, what lights my eyes up? What, what inflames my soul? What, what needs break my heart? Uh, to get deep by listening and, and building some of those relationships in the real world to discover where are the places of brokenness that I might be an agent of good news, a, a piece of a shalom, a repairer of the breach to help. So friends, gifts can look so very different. Of course, there are things like ministry teams, and, and even as we speak, we're, 
we're working to build some things out, create some more opportunities. We're starting a new finance team. We're trying to build out our communications team. We're trying to create new opportunities. You got some of those gifts, come talk to me. Uh, but also, maybe it looks more like the story I told at the beginning. Maybe it's walking with somebody in, in your CG or your microchurch. Friends, every one of us has been gifted by God with something that is essential to the flourishing of the body. Last week we talked about this. We need all the parts. No alien hands going in opposite directions. So what does that look like for you? That's a conversation between you and Jesus. Friends, as we wrap up this day, I want to invite us to just consider what might it look like for me to take the next step. I hope this morning that, that maybe I've sparked a bit of imagination for, for the, the, the manifold, the, the, the incredible, infinite number of ways that you might be able to be a contribution. But it's not about finding the perfect thing. It's really about taking the first step. And so as we enter this morning into a time of worship, a time to, of reflection, I just want to leave us with this, this text one more time. Galatians 6 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's that next step look like for you? Maybe it's, maybe it's realizing, just coming to the awareness that, like, I, you know, I, I want to be a person of love. I try not to be mad when people cut, cut me off. Like, I'm, I'm trying to be a person of love, but, but actually I need to lace up my boots in some way. Like, there's something, I need to take some action to express that. Maybe it looks for you like uh, entering into a relationship that you haven't been making space for up until now. Whether it's a, a community group, whether it's a microchurch, whether it's a, a couple of friends at work that you can pray with. Where is it that you can be in the body in mutuality? Not just, not just showing up a couple times a month to, to sing some songs and listen to me talk. How can you go deeper in relationship? How can you extend courage? This morning as we pray and sing, uh, our prayer carpets are open. I'll be down here. Rashad's available if you want somebody to pray with. Let me invite you to really ask Jesus. Jesus, what does it look like for me to take a step towards living in the kind of mutuality that you've called us to?